Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this week I'm joined by my friend Joelle Mom from San Antonio, Texas. Joelle is an entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, and an outdoor adventure leader. From writing books to taking people on backpacking trips all around the world, Joelle has learned how to build a business that is aligned with his skill sets and his passions. If you're an entrepreneur who's preparing to jumpstart your very own business, this podcast is for you. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Before we jump into the podcast, I have a few announcements I want to make. First, if you have not yet joined the Filming with Josh Facebook group, I want you to hop onto Facebook, type in Filming with Josh, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a place to go to learn more about business, photography, entrepreneurship, video production, and those types of things. If you are in the video production world or the photography world and you want to learn more about how to hone your craft or how to hone your business side of things, this Facebook group is a great place to come to be a part of a community of growing filmmakers and photographers. Next, if you have not yet signed up for my 2019 Outdoor Film School put on by my company, Rustic River Media, I want you to sign up for that today. We only are selling 20 tickets and we've already sold a handful of them. So if you want to get a spot for this film school, you're going to want to sign up pretty soon. This is an outdoor film school geared a little bit more towards the hunting and fishing industries. However, anybody from any background is welcome to join. It is going to be held on May 17th, 18th, and 19th, just outside of Austin in Wimberley, Texas, on a working hunting ranch. And in three days, I'm going to teach you how to create a video from concept to final production. The first day will be spent in the classroom. We will wrap up the classroom material on the second day in the morning. And then that, that afternoon, we're going to storyboard and begin shooting a commercial for this hunting ranch. And then on the third day, we're going to finish shooting the commercial. And then we are going to jump into post-production and create the final product for this ranch. So in three days, we're going to storyboard, film, and create a video for this working hunting ranch that they're actually going to use as a marketing video for their business. This is a really unique film school. It's one of a kind, and the cost includes not only you being there, but lodging at the ranch as well as food and some good Texas drinks. The cost is $1,200 with a $600 deposit to reserve your spot. So send me an email at josh at rusticriver.media or look me up on Facebook under uh, Filming with Josh or under my business page, Rustic River Media, and send me a private message and I will get you signed up for that. Again, the cost is $1,200 with a $600 deposit and the dates are May 17th, 18th, and 19th and I would love to see you there. Now, I'm excited about today. I've had this one planned for several weeks. I'm joined by my friend Joel Mom. He's from San Antonio, and Joel is an author, a speaker, and an outdoor adventure leader. And he's got some exciting stories, and he's got a really great uh, story of his own. And so I wanted to bring him on today to kind of talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and just kind of how he got started into his really unique business. So, Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks. Joel, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, and then we'll go into kind of what your background is. Okay. Yeah. So at, at this point in my life, it's kind of morphed, but uh, I write books and I speak and I talk a lot about kind of overcoming fears and getting past mental blocks. And 
It all came out of the experience I've had in the last few years of leading outdoor adventures around the world. We've, I've taken teams to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. We hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. We've rafted through Grand Canyon. Um, been pretty much all over the world. So, yeah. Man, that's exciting. And I can't wait to find out a little bit more about that. But I want to ask you, where are you from originally? <laughs> well, I was actually born in Corpus Christi, Texas. And then we moved to Central Texas for a little while. And then when I was 11 or 12, we moved to Central America, to Guatemala, Central America, actually in the middle of a civil war at the time. My parents were missionaries. We brought teams up into the mountains of doctors and we built a hospital out there. And so I had a kind of an, a unique upbringing living in Guatemala. Man, that's in, that's crazy. I have a friend that lives in Guatemala right now that's a missionary. Um, I'm not sure which part of Guatemala. I'm not too familiar with it. But I know she loves the people over there. Um, tell me a little bit about them. Well, they're very, it's a, Guatemala has a bunch of different indigenous groups. Uh, they're all Maya descendants. So there's, I think there's over 20 different specific, indi- like broad groups of indigenous languages. Okay. So you've got people that speak Ishil, Kakchikel, Mam, Pokumchi, all these different languages. So really gentle, humble people. Um, Guatemala is developing a lot. As of late, um, it, it's kind of becoming, you know, kind of shifting out of the developing world into the more advanced, but there's still pockets of it that are just like it's been for five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred years. Really? So, yeah. And do they have like pretty good education there or? Depends where you go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, out in, the, out in the mountains, it's still hard to find education. Uh, the government provides it sometimes, but the people maybe don't send their kids because they need them working in the field. Sure. So, yeah. Man, that's pretty wild. So you went to school there? I did. I went to a, a missionary kids' school down there, yeah. And then how did you get back to, to the United States? Well, when I graduated high school, I came back to the U.S., and I didn't really feel that excited about going to college. <laughs> All my friends did, and I think much to the angst of my guidance counselor in high school, she really wanted me to go to college, but I, I didn't, uh, right, right out the gate at least. And so I got a job. I thought, man, I want to travel. So I found a job at an airline, started working <laughs> in an airline, and, and just started traveling all over the world on my time off, uh, which kind of led into the next phase of life, too. I eventually did go to college, uh, worked my way through college, managed to squeeze the four-year program into five years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I eventually got my undergrad, even got a master's degree. So, And what was your degrees in? Uh, my undergrad's in political science. I focused on, it was a pre-law focus, um, and my master's is in counseling. So my wife's master's is in clinical mental health counseling, and it's hard for me to always remember that exact term. <laughs> I always butcher it. But she... Uh, she loved the program, but she also had a lot of challenges in that program. Did you have some challenges? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was challenges, but I definitely didn't fit the box. Okay. So most people, I mean, I think this is education in general. When they, when they train you in something, they say, here's the four things you can do with this. You can do this, 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 or this. So for example, in counseling, they say you can do clinical counseling, or you can do uh, social work, or you can do marriage counseling, or this. And I thought... And I did a little of all of those in my internship, and I didn't like any of it. I did not like the sitting on the couch thing, um, <laughs> you know, having people tell me their problems. And I'm kind of a, okay, I know the past was messed up, but how do we move the ball down the field from here, right? Sure. So uh, I was more into the, how do we move people forward in spite of what may be limiting them from their past? So there's a balance of it. But that kind of, again, that kind of led to what I'm doing today. I found a unique fit. And I think that's the challenge a lot of times in education is people will tell you, you can do one of these four things. And I'm absolutely convinced, of course, uh, my Christian faith, I kind of tend to believe that 
nothing is impossible. Like there's all, there, the world is full of possibilities. Absolutely. If you'll just get creative and keep your mind open to maybe what God has for you that's not in the box. Yeah, I, I feel like I totally understand that from two perspectives. One from my wife's perspective, because she she struggled with the counseling program when she graduated because she didn't want to go into any of those boxes that you said. She had a couple different internships and she enjoyed her time with them, but she also, it just was it didn't fit her personality. She's kind of like you. I don't think she was wanting to sit on the couch. And I know like one thing that she was really afraid of was liability. Like she was really scared. Um, for instance, in her internship, she worked with some uh, kids who maybe had some child abuse and she was afraid of getting someone in court to talk about that. And that just, that fear overwhelmed her and she just didn't want to go into any of those boxes. So she kind of jumped, at least at the moment, she's jumped out of counseling entirely, um, even though that's what her degree is in. And then I get it from my perspective. Um, I When I went to college, I studied wildlife management and then I went into my senior year, I changed majors into business management. And it was kind of like, you know, what business am I going to go into? And about halfway through my senior year, I said, forget this. I just want to try my own thing. And so it sounds to me like that's kind of what you ended up doing. Isn't that, isn't that correct? Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I was intentionally, you know, life has lived forward, but you only understand it looking backwards. I now kind of see that God's hand was providentially guiding me. But yeah, that was essentially it. So uh, the way it all kind of started for me, I always tell people it all started for me on a mountain in Russia. It was while I was on a <laughs> That's summer- where it starts for everybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was on a summer break. I went and climbed Mount Elbrus in Russia. We were in the middle of this huge blizzard. And uh, I remember, you know, it, we, we had gotten to the final day. It was summit day. You know, when you climb a high mountain, you do it in multiple stages because of acclimatization. So Elbrus is over 18,000 feet. And so I had made it through the first five days. But it was pretty clear I was in over my head. I was not, I had never climbed a major ice covered mountain like that. And I wasn't quite prepared. They'd done some quick classes on self arrest and stuff. So, you know, maybe I would have survived or whatever. But I was at the final day. And I remember, I remember the whole time thinking, I'm way in over my head here. But I was really enjoying it. And I remember the final day, this blizzard blew in. And I thought, ah, here's my excuse to get out of it. <laughs> I said, the blizzard's going to save me. I'm not going to have to go do the final summit day. And I remember we were staying in these little, our base camp was these little, there were these old Russian uh, barrels, essentially, huge barrels. Who knows what they stored in them, nuclear waste or something. <laughs> I don't know. But we were staying in them. I remember the knock on the door and it was our guide, Boris. And I was like, he's like, eh, time to go. I said, Boris, you know, what about the snow? He's like, it's no problem. Man. We'll, we'll go, huh? Your stomach sank. Yeah, and I was just I'm thinking, oh my gosh, so, I get it. so we get into the hike and it's just getting worse and worse and it's a full wide out. I can't see anything. I'm, I'm connected up with a rope to the guy in front of me, about eight foot in front of me. And I remember thinking, I think I need to call it quits here. I like, <laughs> I'm in over my head and I, I want to live. So I turned around to the last guy behind us. She was my, my guy and I said, Oksana, I'm out. And she said, okay, we, we'll go back to the camp, huh? So we disconnected from the team, turned around, but we realized the tracks were all gone back to base camp. And uh, so she said, you, you stay here. And so she tied off with me and then she started walking around trying to see if she could at least find kind of the trail back. So we're sitting there. I remember sitting there on the side of a mountain. I pulled my little hood over. I could, you know, snow was pelting my hood and it's just dead silence out there. So I hear the snow pelt, pelting in my uh, hood and my jacket, my Gore-Tex. And I remember just thinking, this is awesome. 
Yeah, and and it's kind of in that moment I felt this kind of call from on high, like I, I need to do this for a living. I need to start taking people on adventures like this to expand their perspective, challenge them. And I kind of felt like God put it in my heart at that moment. So uh, funny thing was uh, my first initial thought was, again, this, the insecurity pops up and you say, wait a second, um, why would anyone follow me up a mountain? Look at the current condition I'm in. <laughs> but Went home, ended up graduating that next year. And at that same time, I started the process of, of figuring out how I was going to do this. And it, sh- that, it was a, really a step of faith, which is usually what happens when you step out in entrepreneurship. There's a, there comes a point where you've got your ducks in a row and you just got to kind of surrender the outcome. Yep. Say, this is either going to work or it's not going to work. And yep. you go for it. And fortunately, the first trip with no advertising, I had 10 people with me. And what we ended up doing is we did a four-month backpacking trip through Central America. That went really well. So I did another four-month backpacking trip on the end of, um, we took a month off and then I took another team and we went to Asia for, for uh, four months. So we started in Hong Kong, worked our way up through China, into Mongolia, down through far Western China, all the way up to Tibet, over to Mount Everest, and then came back. So we did outdoor adventure stuff. You know, we camped on the Great Wall of China and um, you know, all sorts of kind of questionable, questionable legality, I think, but we did it anyway. <laughs> And uh, it was a really amazing time. And so I, I discovered during that time, this is when I went to get my master's. I discovered during that time that there was a lot of great time for conversation on the hikes. So I said, you know, I had to get some training in this. So I went to get that master's. And of course, the whole time they're saying, here's the four things you can do with mm-hmm. this. And I said, I don't really feel like that's a good fit. Well, at that time, during that time, I also got married. But I wanted to keep doing the outdoor adventures. So we shortened the trips from four months to doing one, two-week trips and uh but I, I kind of like to say now I do my counseling in the outdoors <laughs> and we take people on outdoor adventures. And uh, my policy is if it's a place I want to go, we'll eat a trip there. So that's awesome. Yeah. So people are like, you should do a trip like this. And I have a couple, I have a, I, because I know the power of the experience, I have a couple specific things I look for in any trip. Um, we don't just do a trip traipsing around in the woods for no purpose. I always like to have an end goal, especially when I'm hiking with guys. Guys like a goal. We're going to get to the top of this mountain or we're going to get to this place or whatever. So I always like to have a, have a goal. And then I like to have multi-day trips because there's just something that happens after a couple of days. You kind of finally start to truly unwind. And I always love it to where you don't have any outside communication. Mm. Because, man, it's so easy to go somewhere and not actually ever disconnect from home. And I don't think you get the strength of the full experience when you're never able to truly disconnect from back there. And when you do that, you're able to disconnect. It's the formula we use at, at my organization, Summit Leaders, is something my friend Mark Batterson said. He says, change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. Mm. And that's what we've seen over and over again. You just get people out of their regular routine, get them into something that's a little bit uncomfortable, and then all of a sudden, change of perspective happens. You just start to see your life in a whole new way. So that's what really, really I'm in the business of in everything I do is helping people change perspective on their life, whether it's doing the outdoor adventures or the writing or the speaking. That's kind of kind of my driving force. Man, okay, so that last thing you just talked about, I've been there. I remember I've been on a lot of different trips myself, but most of them I either I could get service within a few days or things like that. Um, but I remember the first time I went to Alaska, it was a two-week backpack trip on horseback. Actually, it wasn't backpack, it was on horseback. 
and we were gone for two two weeks. And after like the third day, I was like, like what you said, I started to unwind. I had no service. I had no communication outside world. And I knew I wasn't going to for a yeah. long time. So I just forgot about it. And I fall asleep at night by the river, just listening to the river rushing. And all I wanted to do was like write and talk about my experience. And so I wrote a bunch of blogs while I was there because I, it was just amazing. And the things that you start to appreciate when you're out in the world and being a part of the world, but not part of society necessarily. It was just, it was amazing, uh, an amazing experience. And since then I've done a bunch of stuff like that. So I can see the appeal for people whenever, maybe they're a little nervous at front. I'm, I'm sure you run into that, right? Oh yeah. Most yeah. of my, most of my team, I always tell people, I'm not looking for people that are willing to hike out in the wilderness alone and cut off their arm to save themselves or whatever. <laughs> I'm looking for guys that they've never done anything like yep. this. It's a little scary, but they're willing to do it to for the experience. First. And that's that's the perfect that's a perfect client to have because that's the people who in my opinion kind of needed to go through it the most. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's my kind of what do you call it, you call it the customer avatar in business terms. <laughs> that's my ideal guy. And honestly what I've discovered with most of mine is it's guys that are between about 40 and 55 that do my trips. Okay. It's just who happened. I did a survey a few years back for uh, some coach I do coaching as well with guys that have kind of in life transitions. And I just found that's my audience, 40 to 55. So if you're younger than that, you're welcome. If you're older than that, you're welcome. <laughs> but it just seems like that's the kind of guys that get to a point in their life where they say, man, I got everything I wanted and I'm still feeling like there's more in me that hasn't been challenged. So that's who we target with that and, and that perspective shift. Do you ever see any of those clients that go with you? Do you ever see them um, go do anything else like this after that experience? I have actually a real problem now because <laughs> my repeat clients aren't leaving any room for new people. So as soon as I post a new trip, they all sign up for it immediately. And so it's a lot of the same people over and over again. A lot of those people that go on my trips also join my coaching program. So they say, man, I had a life-changing experience here. I want you to help me walk through this over the next six, eight weeks kind of how I'm going to walk this out with the change I've had. So yeah, I get a lot of repeat people. Have any of them tried to go off and lead any expeditions on their own? Uh -huh. I actually have a couple of guys that started their own organizations. I helped them. They did the trip, went on the coaching program with me, and then uh, started to do their own coaching programs and doing their own outdoor adventure trips, which I'm all for because I can only do so many trips a year. So You know, it's almost like discipleship. It is. That's really cool. I love that. So I have to ask you this because everyone wants to know, do you regret not going around and finishing that climb when it was a whiteout or did you finish it? I sometimes wonder, I'm like, should I go back and do that? I, at this point, I have no, I have nothing to prove. <laughs> I have people all the time are like, come on, show me. And I'm like, dude, I have nothing to prove, man. I've been all over the world. I've climbed all these mountains and I don't have to. So no, I guess I don't. Um, yeah, I don't really regret not finishing that climb. And I don't ever have any desire to actually finish that climb. <laughs> you probably don't want to go back there and go through yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, whatever. <laughs> and there was a time I wanted to do, you know, the highest seven peaks on all the continents, the seven summits yeah. challenge. Yeah. I actually have a guy in my coaching program that did that. He'd climbed all of them. Amazing dude. He's, I'm helping him write a book about it, actually, and start his own coaching program. So <laughs> that's uh, awesome. But man, I, and I hear his stories and I think, man, I'm glad I gave up on that early because <laughs> I just, I'm not. I love the outdoors, but I'm not Mr. Again, I'm not Mr. Yeah, I'll go out there on my own and chop off my arm if I need you to survive. You know, I'm not that guy. I know of a guy um, who who climbed Mount Everest, but wasn't 
or tried to, but wasn't fully prepared. And he, uh, I know he lost both his hands to frostbite. And it's, and I, I believe someone in their camp passed away during that. It's intense, man. Like those, those adventures, if you've never read, um, I can't remember, what is that book called? The one that, uh, Into Thin Air. Into Thin Air. Okay. If you've never read Into Thin Air, you totally should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my experience with Everest was we stayed at base camp there. Sure. And I remember looking up and thinking, that mountain is two miles higher than I am right now. <laughs> and I am absolutely miserable. <laughs> I have no desire to climb that mountain. I mean, I was cold and you're constantly having to stay hydrated. So you're peeing every 10 minutes because you know how it is up at altitude. Sure. My head's pounding and I'm eating yak butter, yak everything, yak meat, yak butter tea. I'm like, I don't have any desire to climb that mountain. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I liked looking at it from base camp. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what's your favorite place to go? Um, just, just in general? Yeah. I mean, I... I love, there's a bunch of places I love. I, New Zealand's probably tops of my list. Mm, South I've Island, never been there, but it's on my bucket yeah, list. Yeah, South Island of New Zealand. I love the island of Kauai. Okay. Oh my gosh, I could go back there over and over again. They've got the Nepali coast there, some amazing mountains. Then you got the beach right there. That Nepali coast hike is absolutely epic. You're walking past waterfalls that are falling into the ocean and... Um, it's paradise. That's a regret I have. So I went to Hawaii like three, two, three years ago, and I did not go to Kauai. It was like the one island I did not go to, and I should have. <laughs> it's if you like outdoor stuff, Kauai is the place to go. A lot of people, you know, if you, if you just want to go sit at a condo and drink beer, go to Maui. Mm -hmm. But uh, Kauai is is one of my wife and I's favorite place. It's the Garden Island, very tropical. Uh, another place that I I always love to go is Guatemala. Mm. Uh, of course, I grew up there, so I'm a sure. little biased. And man, and last year I actually went to the to the Bavarian Alps. Man, beautiful out there. We did some beautiful hiking out there up near Berchtesgaden. Um, I'd say those are some of my favorite places. You ever been to Alaska? I've still never been to Alaska. Oh come on! I need to. I know. I was just hanging out with some friends just this weekend that live up there, and they said anytime you want to come. Oh, it's it's beautiful. I've been twice, and I'm going twice this year. I love Denali, but I like the coastal side more. I'm just Something about mountains and ocean being together. Yeah. Is, I don't know. It's hard to beat. <laughs> I agree with that when you got mountains and ocean. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. So you do that. How long have you been doing that, by the way? I think we're at 12 years. 12 I've years? I did the math the other day. I've taken 120 people hiking on the on just on the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. 120 wow. people just to Machu Picchu. That's crazy. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how it adds up. So. What... I was gonna ask you, so on these adventures, what do you feel like people get out of them the most besides stepping away from you know, their life back home and stepping away from and unplugging from society? What do you feel like they get out of it? Well, it's funny because one of the things that kind of put us on the map is I started by leading outdoor adventures with big name Christian authors. So people would come to be with that author. And every night we do a little devotional. So I, I at first, when I first was learning how to do this, I tried to do the devotionals in the morning doesn't go down very well because everybody's just worried, am I going to be able to complete today? <laughs> so we do it at night after you've had a little success under your belt and then you're like, ah, I can relax. So uh, I had these big name authors and um, people would sign up to be with that author. But the funny thing is I would do these surveys after the trip. Nobody remembers what the author said. Every one of the people I said, what was the most meaningful experience for you? Every one of them would say, it was when I met Joe from Wisconsin and we had this long hike on the trail and I realized, man, he's, he's got the same struggles I do in this area. Mm. Uh, I had a, I took a bunch of really high net worth guys and you know, the, the speaker that spoke was really powerful. Um, 
but all the guys commented about a conversation they had with another guy on the trail. So I've kind of realized it's not necessarily the powerful, you know, evening talks, the leadership talks that we have. It's usually the conversations that happen on the trail uh, with guys who maybe never would connect otherwise because they're just driven guys. They're out doing their thing. And, and so they don't, you know, maybe they go to a Monday, a Monday morning Bible study, but as soon as it's over, they're out the door because they got to go work. Yeah. So, so it's the conversations is usually what most people get out of it. And then just the sense of challenge and accomplishment. Funny thing is like with Machu Picchu, this regularly happens. We hike for four days and then we get to Machu Picchu and people don't want to go in because <laughs> we've been hiking by ourselves out on this trail. And then there's these hordes of people at Machu Picchu. It's like Disneyland now. And they're, a, lot, a lot of times they're like, hey, we're just going to go on down the mountain. I'm like, guys, you have to go into Machu Picchu. And they say, yeah, but we already had an epic experience just hiking. Like that was the most powerful thing. And I kind of have to force them to go into Machu Picchu <laughs> because they got so much already out of the hike. They don't really care about the ruins. I was like, that's what we've been hiking for for four days <laughs> to get here, you know? Dang, so. that's crazy. And I'm sure like the common experience that they have shared together is a great relationship builder. Nothing like a shared goal to bring you together quick. Absolutely. I agree with that. So then now you also have told me that you're an author. Can you go on a little bit about that? Yeah, so I would tell people what I do, the outdoor adventures, sure. and the question I would always get is, how do you start, or, or first of all, like, well, they would ask, how do you start something like that? Mm -hmm. And I came to realize that what they really kind of were hinting at is they've got something kind of burning in them, but they don't even know what to do with it. Like They have a dream or an idea. And so I started realizing as I'd quiz a little more of my counseling skills, I'd quiz a little more, I'd find out, oh, they actually want to start something. And I'd always say, you just start. Yeah, And they, their eyes would kind of glaze over and I realized that wasn't super helpful information. <laughs> so I said, you, so I realized, okay, you just start, but what does that look like? And mm -hmm. so I wrote a little book called Vision Map. It's, it's, literally, it's a little book that I wrote for my coaching program. And cause I didn't find any books that said what I wanted them to say. So I actually wrote the little book. It's a short book, about 20, 22,000 words. You can read it in one sitting. And it's about when you've got a dream in your heart, an idea, what do you do with it? And I laid out the simple system that I found works every time. And now since then, I mean, I've started, started a cafe in Peru. I've started multiple not-for-profit organizations. I've started a couple businesses, um, even started a church. So, and this formula works for all of that. Anytime you've got kind of a dream in your heart, but you feel overwhelmed by it, I talk about it. So the first thing I talk about is you got to get a really clear vision statement of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, in writing, we call it the elevator pitch. Basically, if you end up in an elevator with Mark Cuban on the way to the 32nd floor of a building. And he said, what are you up to? Could you explain it articulately, very clearly in about 30 to 45 seconds? Mm -hmm. So it's so compelling that Mark Cuban says, how can I help? And a lot of times we, we don't necessarily have a super clear, so I have people that you know, all the time, I speak at events now about this book. And uh, well, oh, the bottom line is the book is what got me into the speaking. Uh, so I wrote the book about this. It got published by Moody Press in Chicago, and that got me into the speaking. So people had me come start talking about how do you, you know, go after your dream. And uh, the elevator pitch is a huge one because I'll have people come to me and say, what do you want to do? And they, they'll say things like, you know, they'll have these great words. Like, I want to create synergistic alliances that lead to ongoing development that's sustainable in the context of unique organic growth situations. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> Sounds cool. And then when you get down to it, you're like, oh, you want to start a food truck, right? <laughs> I mean, but they've got these, you know, highfalutin words. And I'm saying, you want to, and you know, what's the drive behind it? And, and I always tell people, everybody, everybody, every one of us, we've got a message to share and a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. 
And if your vision statement can cover that, what's your message and what's the problem you're going to solve? And people will line up to help you with it. So then that's the next thing is you, you seek counsel from people that have done something similar. Maybe it's something a little bit new. You seek counsel. Um, then you start to build a team. Then I do what you call divide and conquer. And I lay out a really simple vision map process where you write out the steps you can take now and then write out and read the things that just you say, man, I don't know how I'm going to get past this hump. And, and that's where I believe God comes in and starts to help us fulfill our dreams is when you, you say, God, I'm stuck here. I need you to, to help me here on this one red letter thing. And, and I've seen over and over again that, you know, if, if, if you can figure out your dream on your own, it's probably not a huge God-sized idea. Most of the times, the people that have accomplished amazing things, you see it, it literally took some divine intervention. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked to, I heard Oprah Winfrey say that one time. She says, apart from divine intervention, I would not be where I am today. And I think anybody that acknowledges some sort of a higher power says, yeah, there was some point where a higher power stepped in and helped me here. So that's the process of kind of bringing God into the process. Like, here's what I need. And and when we can, when we share our need with him, he says, ah, I'm glad you recognize you need me, right? So you can't pull this off on your own. He comes in and starts to fulfill it. And sometimes he, he does it in a way you, you had it in red letters, you thought you needed this, but he comes in and does it a different way. So then that's the next step I talk about. You gotta stay alert. Um, because when you start this process, you're gonna see divine intervention happening. But if you're looking for it in a very specific, narrow way, kind of looking through a toilet paper roll, saying it's gotta be in this circle, you may miss a really unique way that God wants to do something in your life so uh, to make that dream come true. So you stay alert, and then I talk about uh, kind of implementing the process. I talk about adapting the plan. A lot of times, most of the time, what we start out thinking we're gonna be doing looks a little bit different when you actually get done with it. Sure. So you gotta adjust the plan. So the book's just simple, really practical stuff about how you can get moving on it. And that's what got me into speaking. Um, and then it got me into coaching as well, because I'd have people say, help me start my thing. So I started helping guys do that. Kind of have a deeper question for you. Yeah. Based off of what you just said. So what do you say to someone who feels like they want to start a business, but mm-hmm. maybe they don't see that divine intervention? Do you feel like maybe they're just not seeing it? Or do you think that it's possible that that's just not God's calling for them and that's why they don't see it? Well, there's, there's and there might be a third option. It might just be timing. Mm. Right. Sometimes between the time you get the idea and the time it actually... <laughs> I was talking to a guy the other, just this weekend, he's starting an airline. No big deal. And it's take like it's about to take off, right? It's a very unique niche. Unintended. Unique niche airline. And no, he owns the planes, everything, right? So, <laughs> and I said, man, how'd this happen? I was like, I just, you like, you just showed up on news. I saw him on news. I saw him on USA Today and stuff like that. And he said, well, it all started in 94. And I realized, <laughs> ah, you're a 25 year overnight success story. <laughs> and that's the way it is. So sometimes there's a, there's a timing issue. Sure. So, and again, it's hard to know. There's a book called uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree where the guy talks about how tenacity is really great up to a certain point. And then sometimes tenacity is actually self-destructive because you just need to give up (laughs) and try something else. Yeah. And unfortunately, only you and your advisors can figure that out for yourself. Um, That's why it's so important to have an advisor team around you. I, I, that's like early on in the book, I harp on that. You've got to have guys around you I think you need three key advisor relationships. You've got to have a mentor. That's somebody who cares more about your own personal spiritual growth than anything you're doing. Um, this is the person who will say, yeah, maybe your business is taken off, but you're about to kill your marriage if you keep going this way, mm. and then you're going to regret it, right? And then I think we all need a coach, which is somebody who pushes us to really achieve all we can. And then I think we need a peer advisor relationship, somebody who's in the trenches, same stage of life with us, and who can advise us. If you've got those three, 
usually somebody can call you on it and say, hey man, I just don't think this is working for you, right? And yeah. so it's you know self-defeating for you to keep going. Uh, so it's hard to know. I mean, I wish I could give you a quick little tied up answer, but <laughs> sometimes you don't know. And then sometimes you push through just a little past what you thought wasn't gonna work anymore and then it works. Uh, that's what's been the case for me. I know with, with a lot of things in my life, uh, I expected this massive growth, but really it was a process of planting seeds and for me, example, I'm, I'm just now seeing 12 years into this organization, some stuff that I wish would have happened the first year. Sure. So you got to push through and, and what is, what, you know, I lost some money on my first trips. And if I would have called it quits after I lost the money, I wouldn't be where I am today where we're, yep. where we're not losing money. So, yeah, I get that. I, my wife and I were talking about my film school recently and, you know, it's a big risk because it's going to cost us a lot of money to put this on. I mean, we're renting out this entire ranch with 20 something, no, like 25, 30 beds, something like that. And we're renting, it's like 2000 acres and we're spending money on advertising and we're buying all this food and stuff. And there's a possibility, you know, what happens if we don't sell all the tickets? Yeah. But the way I see it, and we have different personalities, I see it more of a I'm planting seeds. If it doesn't, if we, even if we lost money this year, that's fine because I'm going to capture content about it while I'm there yep. and I'm going to get testimonials from the people that come. And even if only five people come, that to me is a success because I can use that to work towards making it better next year. Yeah. And I feel like that's a process that you have to go through. You may not have, you could have an overnight success. We see that all the time. But for a lot of people like myself, that may not be, you know, the way that God has it designed for you. And you might have to go through some failures in order to get to where you want to go. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're having failures of the same thing over and over again, you have to be willing to accept that too. Yeah. And one of the most kind of relieving things that advice my dad gave me when I first started doing those trips, and I, I tell people this all the time, and it kind of takes the pressure off for them, especially guys that are starting something like in my coaching program. On the first trip, I said, Dad, what if nobody shows up? <laughs> Like, what if nobody goes on the trip with me? He says, well, don't worry about them. He says, here's the angle you need to look at it. I'm going on an amazing adventure. You can join me if you want. You don't have to. I love it. And I look at every trip that way now. Yep. I'm still a little trepidation when I open a new trip where I've never done it before. I don't know if there's demand for it. I did a trip to Israel recently where we hiked from, from Nazareth down through Galilee and up to the Mount of Beatitudes. And like, man, is it going to fill? Is it, are people going to come? Is it going to fill? Are you crazy? I, well, I didn't know. I, we open it up 24 hours later. I'm having to take it off the website because I had people sending me money that I'm like, we're full. It's full. But I always think I go into every trip with this. Sure. I'm going to have a really good time. You can come with me if you want. Absolutely. Or you can miss out. And when you go in with that attitude, you can't lose because you're going in for the adventure. And if you happen to have some people hanging out with you on it, they get they get in on it. And man, that takes a lot of pressure off when you know sure stuff like that. So so what um, what other books have you wrote? Like you talked about that short one. What other ones have you? Um, I write on? a lot of stuff for my coaching program. So I've got a little workbook I wrote called Your Life Message, where I've found that typically whatever God has for you in your next season, if you look back at your previous seasons of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly seasons, you'll see that you're already prepared for what's ahead. Everything that's happened to you in your life is preparation for what's next. And so I talk in that book, it's something I coach my people through in the program, basically saying, if you're not exactly sure what you're supposed to do next, look at your life. Frederick Buechner says this, I love this, one of my favorite quotes. He says, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery it is. Wow. Basically, there's a, a message that's being written with your life. So you've got, again, that message to share and problem to solve. And listen to it, and, and your next step's pretty clear. 
Uh, so for example, I had some folks that I was coaching and um, I was meeting with them and they were talking and they're really passionate. They're like, we want to do marriage ministry and we want to help people in their marriages. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's great. Tell me more about it. And finally, like an hour and a minute, hour and 15 minutes into the conversation, the first call is only 90 minutes. So we're, you know, 80, 85 minutes into the call or 80, 75 minutes, I said, what are you not telling me? Sure. And they looked at each other and they said, they finally said, should we tell him? <laughs> like, yeah, well, you're paying me big money to like, don't hold anything back. And they said, well, we cheated on each other mm. about eight years ago. And um, man, we, we salvaged the marriage. And we're really passionate about helping people salvage their marriages when there's been infidelity. And I said, well, there it is. Why didn't you tell me that from the beginning? Yeah. I said, because there's your why, right? Yep. We did it. And so, you know, a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with a theory. Mm. And they've got this experience. It's a horrible experience. And a lot of times what, what you're called to do is actually comes out of your greatest moment of pain. And so I said, well, there's your specific customer avatar. Again, nailing down the business lingo. You're looking for people specifically who have had marital infidelity and are trying to make it work. And you've got a message to share with them and a problem to solve. And so for them, I said, you got to listen to your life. The reason you're passionate about this, there's a reason, and it comes from our pain most of the time. There's a reason you're passionate about it. And, and for them, it was, there's a very specific audience. It wasn't just general marriage. It was people who have experienced infidelity and how to recover from that. Then the question I asked him was, are you willing to go back and look at your, look at that season and, and pull from it? And they're saying, no, we're not ready. And I said, well, then here's the thing. You're just going to be regurgitating other people's material and, and until you're willing to pull from the pain you experienced and show others how to live through it. Mm. Um, and that's a lot of times we say, I don't ever want to go back there. I don't want to go back there. But the reality is it's part of your story. Yep. And your power comes from the story you've lived. Yep. And that's the, the redemption that God brings from it. So um, so I've wrote, that's the, what that book's about. Uh, it's called Your Life Message. Got another one about courage called Be Brave. And then the most recent one I've written is called Fully You. And uh, as much as I'm a let's move forward kind of guy, I've found that sometimes we can't move forward because there's stuff in the back that's created mental blocks within us. Um, that it's a lot of it's usually fear. Fear is the biggest thing I see with people. And it's fear based on a past experience of we've all got three really core hopes and dreams. If you, if you narrow all your hopes and dreams down, they all come to a hope and dream of security, connection with others, and empowerment. So that retirement you want, it comes down to one of those. That relationship you want comes down to one of those. What you want for your kids comes down to one of those. But we've got all sorts of things around us threatening that. And so we live in constant anger because anger is always a secondary emotion that's in response to, to a threat to one of those three basic dreams that we have of getting the security, the, the connection, or the empowerment. So how do you conquer that fear and how do you move past it? And a lot of times the fear came from stuff you assimilated growing up that you never even realized or experiences you had before you could process them. Dad leaves, parents get divorced, whatever it may be. And it's, it's been wreaking havoc on your ability to move forward, but you don't even realize it. So unfortunately, I had to, unfortunately, I'm glad I did it, but I actually had to go kind of, I've had to delve into some people's past sometimes. As much as I'd like to move forward, sometimes you got to go kind of reprogram the past and reframe it so that you can move forward without those mental blocks that are hindering you and the fears. So that's what the third one is about, fully you. Uh, it's, you know, you can get on Audible, Amazon, all those. So Pre-podcast, you and I were chatting and you were talking about that book and you had a great analogy about a backpacking. That, yeah. Can you, can you tell the audience that? <coughs> so that's actually from the new book that's coming oh, out next year. Book. Okay, my bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, whenever I do a hike, I find that most of my people are first timers. 
And so, you know, they went to REI, told the guy at REI what, what they're going to do. And the REI guy's like, cha-ching. <laughs> all right. So, you know, some commission-based salesman's like, I'm going to score here. So they tell them all this stuff they need. So these guys show up on my hike, you know, the hikes I've done multiple times, loaded down, you know, loads of weight on them. And, and that night before, I always have them come down, I weigh their pack. And if I know it's more than they can carry, I start pulling stuff out. And that gets really emotional for people because you know, we're all afraid of not having what we need, right? The what ifs. Yeah, like what if, what if, you know, I might need this. And, and I've done the hike so many times that I'm like, you're not going to need this, man. Like, I don't care. You're not going to need this. And, um, you know, you don't need six extra batteries that's adding up to 10 pounds in your backpack or whatever, <laughs> right? Bring the battery charger and we'll charge it every night with the solar power thing. Um, so I start pulling stuff out and man, people start getting really edgy about that. Oh yeah. But I've done the hike, so I know. And I think that's what happens. I get, I, it's kind of an analogy for what happens in life. None of us tend to be like intend to be carrying around this heavy load of all this weight we've got on us, but we've all had an experience where we're, you know, what if I need this? What if I need that? And so we end up loading up on everything. And I mean, that's why Americans have to park their cars in their driveway because their garages are full of stuff that they've collected over the years that they don't want to get rid of because what if I need that? Yep. So your car ends up in the driveway and your garage is full of stuff. Uh, it's the blessing of living in America. But you just don't need all that stuff. And we've got, we got emotional stuff we're carrying with us, fears that they're just unrealistic. And most fears are actually irrational. But um, so we're carrying it all around and it's weighing us down. And we could be, there's a, a quote by a guy named Marcus Felix. And he says that, that the traveler is always happier, the lighter is load. Mm. And when you're on a long journey, man, it, it, the lighter the, the load, you're, I mean, I think about that every morning. I fill up with three liters of water in that water bladder and I'm sucking it down. As the weight goes down, I'm like, ah, not so much weight on my shoulders. You can feel it lightening. But what a lot of us do is we're hiking along. We say, look at this beautiful rock. I might need this in the future. And so you throw it in your bag and then, you know, wow, look at this over here. Here's another rock. And it's, it's like collecting <laughs> rocks and putting them in your backpack. And we don't intend to overload our lives. But man, before you realize it, you're carrying a heavy load, you're exhausted, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're thinking, I'm never gonna be able to get, get where I wanna go. And a lot of it's just because you're carrying a bunch of stuff you don't need. So sure. the book's about that. How do you figure out what you need and what you don't need and how do you prioritize? Uh, because when your priorities get out of line is when we find ourselves getting most angry and frustrated in life. Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I can kind of relate to that um, literally. I know that on one of the first backpack trips I did, um, and I do a lot of hunting video, hunting related videos is a big mm -hmm. part of my business. And one of the first sheep hunts I ever went on, it was a two week sheep hunt in the Yukon mountains. And I had, a, or Yukon territory, and I had about a 90 pound backpack on. Ooh. It was so miserable because I was convinced, man, I need 30 batteries. You know, I don't yeah. want to be the guy who runs out of batteries and I need all these lenses and I need this and that and everything else. And man, we started that journey off and about three hours in, I wanted to shoot myself. Like, yeah. it, was, it was horrible. And I learned from that experience. And a, several months later, I went to Pakistan to do a trip there. And I brought like a quarter of that amount of gear. Yeah. And it was so much lighter. And I did, ended up not needing any of that stuff. In fact, I didn't even use some of the stuff I brought that time. And I felt much more free to be able to get the shots I wanted and to tell a story and to enjoy the trip I was on because I didn't have things literally weighing me down. And so I wrote a blog about it called The Minimalist Filmmaker and it kind of talks about how you, as long as you have the core foundations in place and things like for filming, for instance, as long as you have a really good tripod, some good lenses, some lights, 
a good camera and a great idea, you can, and some audio gear, you can put together a really good story. You don't have to have all those things. They serve a purpose, right? but a lot of times they may do nothing more than weigh you down. And I had to learn that the hard way. But now that I know that, when I go on to a trip like that, I, I'm focused so much more on the experience and enjoying it and telling the story. And I leave a lot of things at home. And so I can relate to that um, literally, but I feel like for people out there that, that relate, that you can relate to that in other ways in life and just have your foundation. If you have a good foundation with whatever it is you're doing, a lot of times you don't need the extra stuff that comes with it. Well, and when you're down to the minimum, it pulls creativity out of you. It does. So you say, well, I gotta we'll use this rock over here and we'll figure out how to rig it up or whatever. Uh, there's a, a, one of the quotes I love, I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, when forced to work within a strict framework, the mind is taxed to its utmost and capable of its greatest creations. But when given total liberty, the work is likely to sprawl. Wow. So he's basically saying the minimum, if you can keep it to a minimum and you have to say, I have to work with these four tools, man, it's amazing what you can come up with. But when you've got unlimited options, the work just tend, you tend to, tend to get distracted and you don't strip it down to the bare minimum of what you're trying to accomplish here. For your example, is a great story. And to tell a great story, you can get really creative on the gear side of it and how you're gonna make it work, but you can still tell the great story. And it even adds to the richness of it because you say, man, we had to improvise here and the creativity starts to flow from it, yeah. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. I wanna shift gears now towards the kind of entrepreneurship side. Mm -hmm. So people that listen to this podcast might wonder how, and you kind of talked about it a little bit about how you started your business. But one thing you've told me before in, in a conversation we had in the past was a good way to start in entrepreneurship is to start small. Yeah. <laughs> Can you go into, if someone's listening to this podcast who has a business idea, whatever that idea may be, how can they start small? Like what, what's your advice for someone like that? Man, just figure out what is the minimum you need to operate because most of the time the minimum you need is a lot less than you think. Uh, I'll give you the example. We started a cafe in Peru. Um, we went down there to work with a guy who was starting it and I was going to start, I was going to run uh, a branch of it and he was, or, and I was going to run a ministry out of it and he was going to run the cafe. And he had these grand visions for the cafe, but the reality, we didn't have that money. And so he, unfortunately, he got tired, got exhausted and finally said, I'm, I'm moving, moving back to the U.S. And I thought, man, this is a shame because we're ready to go right now. Yeah. And, um, but he said, no, we don't, we need an espresso machine. We need this, we need that, we need this and that. And I'm thinking, Man, we don't have the money for that. I mean, you're looking forty thousand dollars, and right now all we've got is you know we've got some tables and chairs, and we've got a great location. That was the key. We had a really great location. I'm thinking it'd be a shame to blow this. So I just started looking around, and I, I called a guy, he's an expert in coffee. I said, "Dude, what can we do with like three hundred dollars to start?" <laughs> and he was so great. You know, he's he's like one of the top coffee cuppers in the world. He's basically a like a, a guy that tastes wine and tell you know he does that for coffee. Oh wow! And uh, he said, you know what's really hip right now is these pour, pour over, do your own pour over. So he said, man, what, just get, to, get some. So we, we've sent somebody back to the U.S. or brought, had somebody from the U.S. bring these little Melita pour over things. And then we had the, uh, we got local coffee. And then we said, you get to pour your own coffee. It was basically like, like making it at home, but you're paying <laughs> us to make it at home. So, but you're in Peru. So yeah. it makes it awesome. So we had these little mugs and we give them the mug and then we give them the little pour over thing and they'd pour over their own coffee. And then we had... And we came up with the unique names or like the milky one, the frothy one. So it was essentially our cappuccinos, but we, we never claimed it was with espresso because we didn't have an espresso maker. People loved it. We started, <laughs> we literally opened the doors. 
I think on $300, we didn't even have enough money to buy a refrigerator. Well, after a few weeks, we had enough money to buy a refrigerator. A few weeks later, we had enough money to add breakfast to our menu. And so we started a little bit, and as the money came in, we bought it. And, and a lot of times people go into so much debt. And man, when you go into debt, when you start something, the, the odds are stacked against you because yep. most businesses fail in the first three to five years. Uh, Mark Cuban says, never start a business with debt, if at all possible. There's some things that just have high inventory, but most things, man, you can start with pretty minimal stuff. And here's the cool thing about it. People are understanding if you're not you know, the best and the greatest, if you're just really clear with them about it. Hey, we're just getting started. We'd love your feedback on how we can improve. Sure. And people love being part of an underdog story. Yeah. So our little cafe, you know, we said, man, we don't have the money for all this, but man, we're doing with what we can. And people started loving it. Word got out. Next thing I know, our, our cafe in Cusco is in the Lonely Planet guidebook. Um, by that time, we had we'd handed it off to somebody else, but the thing exploded. It's still going down there. Wow. But we, we started with just what we had. So we bought a, you know, we wanted an industrial waffle maker, couldn't afford it. So we bought a $20 waffle maker and had it shipped down from Walmart. Um, and we started with three home waffle makers. And then we eventually were able to get more high grade. But you just start with what you got and, and you don't go into debt. And you just start small. And it's amazing when you do stuff, when you start so small like that, it'll grow. It's slower than we want it. Most of us want the finished product right at the start, but that's not how most stuff happens. No. So you start with what you got. You say, I want to start filming, and all you've got two GoPros and a, a, you know, some SLR, a DSLR. Start with that. Do the best you can with what you got there. Build some clients out of that, um, and 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 do your best work with what you have. That's the bottom line. Do your best work with what you have, and and be clear. Hey, you know, you don't have to undersell what you've got, but you know, we're working with this kind of equipment, and just so you know, this is what it's going to be like. And and then when you deliver the product. Word starts getting around, man, you got to hear about these guys are doing it. And, and you can build from there. But when you go in the hole right off the bat, you know, for $20,000 worth of gear and you haven't even proven that you can create a viable product, you're in deep trouble. Um, so I, I say just start with what you have right now and get as creative as you can with what you have. That's a lot of it. Again, the strict framework is actually a blessing because you got to get creative with what you have. And, uh, and, and find, one of the big things too is find a unique angle on it. So for our cafe, we realized nobody was selling waffles at the time in Cusco. So oh, waffles okay. is a way to go. Another thing we noticed, this is goofy, but it's changed since then, but nobody was selling local coffee. You go into these cafes, some of the best coffee in the world is grown just over the hill in a town called Kiabamba, but they export it all. <laughs> so they'd give you like Nescafe and you're like, are you kidding me? I'm in Peru, the best. So we started getting our own beans and um, it was one of our simple selling points. You just say kind of a unique selling proposition, the USP they talk about. So what's your unique angle on it? And what's your unique story on it? And sell that, sell that unique story of why you're doing this. So ours was we give half of our profits, or I don't think it was half, but a percentage of our profits away to certain um, not-for-profit organizations. So we've got local coffee, we've got waffles, we do breakfast, and the money goes to a good cause. That's enough. Yeah. We started with that and people loved it. And, and again, that's still the mission there is starting, uh, they give a lot of the profits away. I don't know what percentage it is now uh, since we've left, but figure out what your unique niche is. Um, I, I love how you've got a very unique niche. It's the wildlife outdoor stuff. And it, again, it comes out of your story. You mm -hmm. got that degree in wildlife, man, you were already passionate about it. Yep. Uh, and it just makes sense that you're doing something a little different than what you thought, but it fits right in line, again, listening to your life. But I'm sure you started small. You've probably got your own story of starting small. Yeah, I started. I started pretty small. I, I started small in a sense that I I bought some minimum gear and I kind of built up from there. But then I made a mistake, and I did something that you talked about, and I I took out debt. Mm 
I did a bunch of micro loans and I'm almost finished paying them off, but that's something I wish I wouldn't have done mm. looking back because had I stayed the course, I probably wouldn't have everything I had right now. But looking back, I probably didn't need everything I have right now. And I have it and I use it and it makes helps me make good money, but I probably didn't have to go into debt and get those things. I could have continued on a different angle. Um, so I, I can say from experience, I wish I wouldn't have taken out some business debt. I don't think it was necessary to get to where I am now. Um, but I've seen what I did that helped me really grow is I didn't quit my full-time job. Yeah, I, I used the money from my full-time job to pay for my bills and rent and everything. And then I use my side business to purchase and fund my business. Everything I made shooting videos on the weekends or whatever, I poured right back in. And that's how I bought my gear. And I like to tell people, and not everyone has this luxury, but if you are a teacher and you love videography and you kind of want to jump into that, maybe hold off, maybe do it as a side business, figure out if there's a market for you. And then buy equipment and and use the money you make it and to buy more equipment and that's a good way to fund yourself so you're not you're not trying to put everything on you jumping out of your job and just hoping it'll work because i think it's like there's a difference between stepping out um on faith and just being foolish if that makes sense yeah. or wanting it now or instant wanting it gratification now. instant gratification yeah. that's a better way to put it and i've seen too many people that want to do that they're like hey i hate my job i'm really passionate about this I'm just gonna go for it. And six months in, they're dying. They can't pay their bills. They're now in debt because they wanted it everything at once and they have to give up on their passion. And their passion they end up not liking anymore because it's kind of the reason why they're dying. Yeah, you get resentful of the very thing you were passionate about. Absolutely. And I like to encourage people and not in, in any business, if you can start off as a side business, sometimes that's the, a good approach because you can fund yourself fund that business through the money you make, but still be able to afford to live off your job. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is, again, we live in a culture where we want it now. Like we want to be Starbucks when we open. Yeah. Hey, you ever seen the original Starbucks? <laughs> it's a little hole in the wall and over Pike, across from Pike Street Market. Starbucks didn't start as Starbucks. It started small and they built from there. And that's one of the biggest challenges is you want to jump into it. I, and I get, that's another really good point too. Uh, I tell guys in my coaching program, Figure out how much you need to live. And when you can make half of that on your side hustle, then it's time to take the leap mm. if you're ready to do that. That's great advice. Yeah, some people are a little... And again, you have to be honest about your own risk aversion. How averse to risk are you? Because when you jump out on your own... I was just talking to a guy this week who started a videography business. And I said, don't ever look at the bottom line month to month. I said, quarterly, probably I wouldn't even look at it for six months. I said, because you're going to have months that are dry. Oh, yeah. And you're just... Oh my gosh, we're sinking here. <laughs> but if you look at the overall, did you know over six months, did we come out in the black? And if you didn't come out in the black after six months, maybe you need to reevaluate. But it's it, there's this it, it it happens a lot where you you get to the fifty percent mark, you take the leap, and it's a little dry for a while, and you say, oh no, did I make a mistake? And you want to run back to what you knew, but you may just be on the other threshold. So don't look at your bottom line on a month to month basis. Otherwise, you might freak out. Absolutely. I totally agree with that because like my Januaries and my Februaries, my wife has just started working with me full time this past year. So this is and we've only been married 11 months. So this is our first time going through this experience together. And in December, January and the first part of February, historically for me, it's always been very bad. Yeah. Nobody wants to buy a commercial or shoot a video at the very end of the year around the holidays. When the new year starts, they typically aren't wanting to spend money yet. They're looking out at the at the forecast for the year. But then middle of February, that's when they'll start 
kind of picking up. So she went through, she's relatively new and she's going through this December, January with me. And she's like, what ah, have I done? We're gonna die. <laughs> what have yeah. I done? Why did I marry you? Like, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. But now that February's hit a couple weeks ago, I mean, it was like, wildfire and now we can't even get our work done yeah and so she sees the upside and that's just something that um i feel that a lot of people might experience and you have to kind of hang on now if we had those peaks and valleys all throughout the year we had a good month bad month good month bad month and it was like that every year and we weren't you know able to sustain ourselves then it's time to reevaluate yeah. and consider if whether or not what we're doing is worth it and that's what i was i was telling this guy this weekend that's starting his own videography business i said put a stop loss on it look talk to your spouse talk to whoever you're in relationship with in this and say how long are we willing to suffer if this goes bad <laughs> and say if it's a year i think we could suck it up for a year okay then we're not gonna even consider reevaluating what we've done you got to go all in man I mean, that's do. the bottom line once you hit that 50 percent mark you say you're going to go all in you either keep going at the dabbling thing, but then don't get resentful of your job because you can't go full time, or throw yourself in and fully commit. Yep. Because something happens when you fully commit. And once you've fully committed though, say, we're not even gonna talk about bailing for a year, even if you know we're, we're tanking here. Um, now again, if it's really bad, you know, or like having to pull out loans or live off the credit card, I would consider reevaluating. But <laughs> usually it's, it's, you know, you'll have a good, what'll happen for us, for example, is you have a month where no money comes in, and then the next month, you'll make three times that. yeah. And then the next month you'll get half that. And then if you start looking at it, you go, oh no, we're gonna starve. Oh no, that's all right. We made a bunch of extra money last year and we didn't month and we didn't spend it. Uh, so we've got a buffer this month. And so that's why I say, don't look at the, at the numbers on a month to month basis, use wisdom obviously. But if you're trying to decide whether to keep up at it on a month to month basis, not a good evaluation tool. Look in a quarterly or maybe every half a year, six months. Keep an eye on the numbers obviously, but the overall that you're looking for, that's what you need to decide on and then figure out how long you're willing to go with that. And because um, I found a lot of people are willing to suffer if they're doing what they love. Yeah. Oh, I, I suffered. I My wife literally bought me ramen once because when we were dating. <laughs> I, but I, she's like, how can you live like this? I was like, man, I got a dream and I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing it. Yeah. And it's going to work out. And you feel alive when you're doing <laughs> you do. it. Hey, that's, that's worth a lot more than, you know, you could be making six figures sitting in a cubicle or you could be making 40,000 a year hustling over here on the side and eating ramen. But man, people are willing to endure a lot if you, you feel alive when you're doing it. Absolutely, ramen never tasted so good. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I think the opposite too is true. So like you, you, when you're looking at the numbers, you also wanna look at them from a whole, or uh, from like a six month standpoint, you said. Also wanna look at it, not just from a, are we surviving, but make sure that you don't have a good month and you go crazy and spend all your money either. Because yeah. I did that, I made that mistake. When I first started uh, my business and I left my job as a TV producer and went on my own, I I had like three amazing months and I went out and I bought a 60 something thousand dollar truck. Ha! And it was a horrible mistake. <laughs> and every day I'm like, where is my old Chevy truck? I wish I had that, it was paid off. How stupid was I? But I learned that lesson and you know, I feel like a lot of people tell me that when they're younger, they make that mistake and I yeah. made that mistake. Um, and I learned from it the hard way. But if I could redo that part of my life, I love my truck. However, I, I ha what I had was perfectly fine. So if you, if you look at the numbers, like you said, you wanna look at it as a whole and not just from are we surviving, but make sure that you don't go and blow all your money either because yeah. you, you are gonna have down months. times. You have yeah, when you have the, 
what would it be like August, September, October, but then November, December, January hits, you go, ah, where did it go? Yeah, don't, yeah. Go, don't go take the month long trip to Hawaii when because <laughs> we made a bunch of extra money that month because it may be pretty lean in December and January. Absolutely. And I think if you're going to step out and start your own business too, it's also, also good. Not, I mean, it's one thing to like step out and have faith, like especially if you hit that 50% mark, like you said, but I think it's also wise that you, um, you, you calculate what you're doing and you really think it over and don't just jump into something and yep. say, I'm going to figure it out. I've seen people do that too. They're like, I've made some money. I feel good about it. I'm going to jump straight in and I'll figure it out as I go. And then they, they too die because they didn't have a plan. I feel like you need to have a pretty good plan. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. You got to count the, I mean, I think Jesus said that. He said, if you're going to go build a barn, you better count the cost first. Figure out what it's going to cost. Yep. Um, and a lot of times people, I mean, there's people that are just purely just blindly optimistic and, oh, it's going to work out. And they're not seeing that there's holes in the plan. So that's where advisors come in. Yep. Get people around you that are wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. King Solomon said that. That's awesome. And you've got one that somebody says, eh, you know, and then you, you got to go with it. But you you got to be really realistic about what you're going for. And, um, and make sure you're going, man, here's the thing. Make sure you're going in with the right motive, too. Because if you're just trying to run from what's in front of you right now, you just, I, I hate being in this cubicle and you jump out, it may go really bad for you. And then you may end up being back in that cubicle for the rest of your life and really angry about it. Yeah. But if you go into it for the right reasons, the right motivations, because you've got that message to share, you've got that problem you want to solve, that's when it, it tends to tend to work a lot better. And think it through. Think it through. And there's nothing wrong with side hustle. It's a lot slower than you want it to be. I think about my brother. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant entrepreneur, way better than me. And I remember he started this blog when we were working together at a church. And it was this ridiculous niche audience. I thought, who in the world would read this read this blog? And I'd laugh because he'd be in there every, every morning an hour early. He'd get to work an hour early to work on his blog. And uh, before he knew it, he had half a million people reading that thing a month. Dang. And then he stepped aside and he was able to live off of that. Off wow. of a blog. About That's a very crazy. niche product. Yeah. But it led to another business and another business. He's got you know, four or five businesses running. He's doing incredibly well but he dabbled first he put in the extra overtime he you know i was still sleeping when he was up at the office working on his blog and i'd roll in you know here i'll you know i just barely made it to work on time and he had been there already an hour and that discipline is really important and that's the other thing you've got to you've got to be really honest about your own discipline levels and your aversion to risk yeah because listen there's nothing wrong with working for people there's nothing wrong with it we need people to work for people but man it takes you got to be really willing to embrace risk, embrace some suffering and insecurity if you want to be an entrepreneur. And that's part of counting the cost, saying, is, you know, how much suffering are we going to endure for this? And is my family willing to go through that? Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're not. And you just say, okay, we're going to figure out how to do it on the side then and build it up until we can do it. But it's always the count the cost thing. Um, and and, and it, it's amazing how much you can do on side hustle stuff just with what you've got already and, and, but don't rush it. Don't rush it. We always feel this rush to do it and, and scale it. That's another thing I always hear people say, how, how quickly can we scale this? I'm like, hold up, hold up. Figure out if you've actually got market viability here. We haven't proven viability. You see these guys on Shark Tank. All the oh, time. I was just thinking Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah. they're always like, there's a million people that need this product. And they say, yeah, but has he sold any? 
well, no, not yet, but there's a million people that could potentially buy it. Oh. And, you know, Cuban will be like, get out of my, get out of my tank. Oh, yeah, I, my favorites, you know, they're like, oh, there's, you know, 3.5 billion car owners. That's our market size. Yeah. Well, no, that, I mean, yeah, there might be 3.5 million car owners, but that doesn't mean that that's your market. Like, yeah. you know, that's crazy. And everybody needs my product. No, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. So, and that's another interesting thing. And you have to learn to adapt because when I first started, I was like, my business is going to be, I'm going to film people hunting and I'm going to make a living out of it. Well, I found that not everybody wants to pay to have their hunt filmed. In fact, there's not a ton of people out there that do want that. So I had to adapt and go into the the marketing side of it and start marketing ranches and marketing products and services that way. Because yeah. I found that that was, that was more of a there was more of a, a, a want or a need there for that type of thing because everybody needs marketing. And then from that, I started to adapt into doing commercials for doctors and dentists and, yeah. and uh, all different kinds of schools, things, universities, all kinds of stuff. And that's kind of what a lot of my work is today. You have to be as an entrepreneur able to adapt. You can't, you can't be focused on the same thing over and over again if it's not working out. You've, you got to keep a lot of plates spinning. That's another thing entrepreneurs have to be willing to do is I want all my income to come from one place. Well, then you need to go work from somebody. Yeah. For somebody. Because everybody I know that's an entrepreneur has multiple plates spinning. So, for example, my brother, when he was starting that blog, what helped him make side money was he was doing websites. And he hated it, but he was good at it. Mm -hmm. And he got in this weird niche where all these doctors were referring to him and they wanted their own websites and he'd do it. And, and he hated it. But, man, it was paying the bills for him. Uh, until he could get the side thing up and going. So some, I'm guessing you probably had to do a few weddings you didn't necessarily want to do. I didn't have to do a wedding. Okay, okay. I will say I've never done that. Oh, good, okay. That's what most photographers are like. Oh, I got to do the dreaded wedding to do what I really want to do. Yeah, that's so funny. No, I, I've, been, I've been really blessed. I've had to do other jobs I didn't want to do, but weddings are not one of them. You mentioned a second ago that you um, also do... Um, you are also in, were involved in a church, and you also said to me that you do speaking stuff. Are those kind of go hand in hand? Do you speak about church-related stuff? Do you speak about entrepreneurship or both? Yeah, so most, you know, when people invite me to speak, they usually want me to talk about something in my book. Okay. Because they read it, and they said, oh, can you talk about this or whatever? Um, so I talk, I talk at a lot of entrepreneurship meetings, uh, business meetings about the Vision Map book, and then I speak at a lot of churches about the Fully You book. Um, and then I also serve at a church down here, down the street, and that's just kind of more of a coming up with new series. Uh, so it's, it's all new material there I usually share. That's awesome. Yeah. To kind of wrap up, where do you see yourself uh, going today? Like, what, what's your next adventure that you're going on? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've got some outdoor adventures coming up. We've got trips this year. We're doing Inca Trail, Israel. My, one of my long-term dreams is I would love to do a, a documentary about the experience what happens on the outdoor adventure experience? Sure. Um, I've also written a movie. Who knows what'll happen with that? Um, I know a guy. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I'm kind of at a point now where I'm pretty content with where things are. I want to keep writing. I want to keep speaking. Um, but who knows what'll what'll happen? I've got some side things. Again, I got plates spinning over here, and if one of them seems to strike, I might go where the iron is hot over there. That's so. That's the most exciting thing as an entrepreneur to me is you never, ever know where your next income could come from. And yeah. I know like for me, um, with this film school, if it you know pans out the way I'm, I'm thinking it will or hope it will, it would be a great source of income for me. And I, I look to eventually expand it once I've kind of proven it and have it maybe a couple times a year and then go into offering like production classes and like um, classes that are all about business and stuff like that. So that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is you never know where you're going next. Very true. 
Yeah. Well, Joel, where um, where can people find you and to connect to you if they if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. So I've got uh, my my outdoor adventure organization is Summit Leaders S U M M I T Leaders and that'll connect you to pretty much everything that I've got there. I've got a blog. I write a weekly blog about kind of life, overcoming fear, um, stuff like that. Basic kind of all the stuff we struggle with, overcoming fear, and um, spending time in solitude, um, anger, stuff like that. And actually, if you want to subscribe to that weekly email I send out, you can text my name, J-O-E-L, to 44144, and that'll sign you up for that. And then joelmalm.com is another place. So, That's awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and been fun, chat man. with me. Yeah, it's been a blast. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Well, thanks for your time. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to continue listening to more podcasts just like this, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and rate it and let me know what you like or don't like about it. And uh, be sure to go check out Joel. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I look forward to seeing you next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.